1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: Ron and Anian. Dropping off and picking up at a repair shop is, is, is just as much a part of the process as the repair. If you can't understand, walk up to the white mailbox, take the envelope out, fill it out, sign off at the bottom, drop your keys in, and drop the keys in the brass mail slot. If you can't understand that, what's going to happen when I tell you your car needs four-wheel brakes, the left front caliper's locked on, the right rear brake is metal on metal... We're gonna end up having to do a break beat of flush and it'll be about sixteen hundred dollars. Take your place in the drive see. Drive the seat. Drive the seat. The car doctor. The rear wheel speed sensors have input and authority over transmission operation. There's a genius idea. Right. That's that's the way I'd do it, because <laughs> You know, it's not, it's not like the sensors or anything back there is ever going to fail. Welcome
1: to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at
0: 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. I had to repair a 2003 Ford Ranger uh, this week. Hello and welcome, by the way. And, you know, it was kind of like a unicorn. It was a truck that you just, well, I'll tell you the story this way. Danny's brother, Tony, uh, who seems to have the worst luck with vehicles. If something's going to go wrong, this kid's going to have it happen to him because it just seems like whatever car he picks out, it just never seems to work. He needed a vehicle. His his jeep that he was driving. He parked it at his girlfriend's house and um, got out. And <laughs> there's no other way to say it. He made a mistake and he didn't put. Well, he put the parking brake on, but he trusted the parking brake on a 26-year-old jeep that had been converted by three people long before him, and they didn't do a proper job. And it popped out of popped the parking brake off, and it popped out of gear, and it rolled down the hill. And when it hit the tree at the bottom of the embankment. The vehicle just sort of split in half. It just sort of destructed and fell into a million pieces. So he needed another vehicle, and he went out and he was, you know, he needed a vehicle quick. So we found a 2003 Ford Ranger that, you know, by all means checked out. It was a three liter V6. He wanted what something like what I have in my little '97 because he says, hey, Ronnie's three liter works well, and you know, he says it's rear wheel drive. It's got Low miles on it, only had 150,000 miles on it, which isn't a lot these days. And it's not a lot for most Rangers because if they're taken care of, they last. And he said, Let me take it to Ron. I'll, I'll get it checked out. Sure thing, Anthony. No problem. Bring it in. We'll, you know, job a job. We'll, we'll do a checklist on it. We'll, we'll, you know, do what we have to do and send it on down the road. So he brought it in, and here's this, you know, 03 Ranger, rear wheel drive, three liter automatic. And I'm doing the checklist on it and I get it up in the air and understand a checklist it's sort of like a stick out your tongue and say oh we call it a seasonal checklist it's a safety checklist it gives us the ability it's a two page sheet that we've got in the shop that's very you know it's very basic but it it forces you to go through each system step by step and grade it a b or c d did not check and not applicable that kind of thing a is okay a is good b is borderline c is critical and that's the grading system if you know that then you can look at any vehicle and it it it's worked for years i mean we've been doing this this way over probably 25 years now. So we, I went through the top sheet. I went through the first sheet, as I like to call it, which is all the above-the-vehicle stuff, engine compartment, taillights, windshield wipers, windshield glass, you know, lights on the dashboard, that kind of thing. And I get to the—I lift it, and I lifted it, and I'm looking around, and I go, I got this, this is good, this is good. Let's see, front differential looks okay, transfer case— wait a minute, this is supposed to be a rear-wheel drive vehicle. Danny, come here a minute. Are are you seeing what I'm seeing? Danny comes over, and he's stunned. We're both stunned. We're both standing there going, wait, this is supposed to be a rear-wheel drive-only vehicle. It's four-wheel drive. It's got a front axle. It's got a transfer case. It's got two drive shafts. How can this be? I put it down. I looked at it again, put it back up, scratching my head, you know. Called him up, Anthony. And, you know, this kid just, I guess he always expects bad stuff to follow. And when I told him, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. He's like, no way. I said, way. Dude, it's it's a four-wheel drive truck. He bought a four-wheel drive truck for three grand. It doesn't work. We looked inside. There's no provision in the passenger compartment for four-wheel drive. There's no button. There's no lever. There's no, it's really weird. So I did a little research. You know, here's the unicorn. Here's the one you never expect to see. I did a little research. In order to get four-wheel drive in an 03 ranger, according to Ford, it has to be the bigger four-liter engine, which makes sense, right? If you're driving four wheels, you need a bigger engine. They didn't make any three liter two wheel uh any three-liter four wheel drive engines. You need a bigger engine, you need the four oh. Well, Anthony's got a 3.0 wheel drive. It's got four wheel drive drivetrain. But then I thought about it further. The the powertrain control module would have to be different. The vehicle by VIN identifies as a rear-wheel drive. But if it was four-wheel drive, it would have to account for different gear ratios. There's different emission controls. You know, how would you order parts for that? How could you order parts for that? I talked to Ford. Ford has no way to look anything up. The VIN doesn't match the vehicle. I think... In conclusion, and I told Anthony where to look on the frame, you know, there's a there's a, a frame checkpoint we found underneath the passenger side of the cab that should have the last eight digits of the VIN stamped in it. I think somebody tried to convert this truck because I believe this to be a three-liter rear-wheel drive, correct PCM, correct emission controls. You know, none of of the emission controls looked uh, changed. I know for a fact that there's a difference between evaporative emissions on a four-wheel drive versus a rear-wheel drive. Um, There's a lot of different componentry. This vehicle had torsion bar front suspension. I believe four-wheel drive was coil spring. So I think somebody tried to convert a three-liter rear-wheel drive into a a four-wheel drive vehicle got stuck halfway through because of the difference in the front suspension they couldn't figure out how to make it work with the electronics of the three oh rear wheel drive and just gave up on it and sold the vehicle. Jersey truck, too. Sold out of Sansoni Ford uh, twenty years ago, who has since gone out of business down in South Jersey. Interesting though, right? You never you never expect to see that. And then how do you fix it? And it made me think about, you know, the limitations, the way the way some things just cause us to be stuck in a hole, so to speak, to, to limit us in terms of what we can actually modify or change on a vehicle. I guess you got to be careful these days, right? You just can't rush out and randomly start changing things unless you think the thing through, because you're going to run into the electronics wall, and the electronics wall is going to limit you in terms of what you can actually change. And therein lies the handcuffs. He said to me, Tony, he said, you know, I guess I should have brought this to you beforehand. I said, well, yeah, and, you know, don't beat yourself up. You brought it to me early enough. Uh, you know, we can appreciate, appreciate it for what it is. It's a $3,000 rear-wheel drive truck with 150,000 miles on it. Drive it until you can't drive it anymore, but it's never going to be worth any more than this. And it's, you know, it's not like you're here for the long time. You're, you're here just for a short time just to get by until you find something else. But um, just, you know... I, I you think you've seen it all. And I've gotta tell you, the person really did a decent job. I mean, they they actually got everything bolted up and in the vehicle. They just they couldn't finish that last ten percent and make it functional and make it work. I would have at the very least figured out how to hook up some kind of a mechanical shift lever to the four-wheel drive transfer case, drilled a hole in the floor and stuck it up through there and pulled on it and see if it had gone into four-wheel drive. Although the other problem he had was, and I don't know that it's not repairable. The front diff wasn't supported properly. It was just, a lot of it was hanging out in space. It wasn't bolted properly because the structure wasn't there because of the differences in the frame between a a four-wheel drive and a a rear-wheel drive. And if you took the drive shaft out of this truck, the front differential would rotate down and point towards the ground, Uh, the pinion would. So it was not properly done that way. But, boy, you go that far, you get that close, and then you stop, I... I think I've seen it all until until I see the next thing. Um, So I guess the moral here for all of us as we kick off this hour of The Car Doctor is, buyer beware. You know what? If it seems too good to be true, Tony thought it was a good deal. It seems too good to be true. My late father-in-law's words ring in my ear. It probably is. Just look at everything twice. Be careful what you get. Be careful what you're doing. Be careful where you're going because you may be going to the wrong place and you won't know until you get there. So just uh, be cautious. Buyer beware. 855-560-9900. Ron and in the car. Doctor, at your service. I'll be back to open the phones up right after this. Don't go away.
2: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is
2: going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.
3: The old lady
2: from he drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900.
0: Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over to Kurt in Arizona. Kurt, welcome back to The Car Doctor, sir. What are we working on today?
1: Hello, Ron. I'm working on a 1999 VW Bug. It's the old-style bug. Okay. Made in Mexico. Okay. So it... It came with fuel injection, but uh, they switched it to, I guess nobody liked the fuel injection on the bug, so they switched them all back to carburetors, uh, which it has on it now. The carburetor's fairly new, but when I go to start it, cold starts up no problem, but after it's warmed up, I've got to push the pedal all the way down like it's flooded, if you would, and then it starts no problem, but i I can't start it unless I push that down. okay What do I need to fix on there to? Well, make that always start. So, what, you know, is there a
0: reason I'm going to ask the, let me ask the question this way? Is there a reason you think it's it's not or shouldn't be flooded or you're, you know, we're, we're both going to say, hey, it was flooded like it's like fuel spilling over?
1: No reason. I, I can't figure out why.
0: Okay. So so what, what, what I guess what I'm asking is, do you see puffs of black smoke when you start it? Because there's probably not enough of a cat on that thing. To make a difference, especially when you first start does it does it does it does it smoke uh, when you start it up like it's fuel fouled?
1: No, it doesn't smoke at all and runs all right. like a charm. All right. So
0: you know what kind of carburetor is on it because we're dealing with a modification. They they obviously changed intake manifold, right?
1: um yeah I don't know <laughs> well I mean they, they would have had to
0: if it was fuel injected they you know how did they add the carburetor you know and, wh- and when we say they who 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 is they are we talking Volkswagen as the manufacturer or somebody somebody that owned it previously before you
1: oh definitely somebody owned it previously before me right. I mean this came up from Mexico it's probably got parts from ten different vehicles stuck on there
0: okay so it's a, right that and that's my point this is a this is a mishmash right this is a combination of things. Right, yeah. So, so you know, all the emission controls basically have been removed, is what you're telling me.
1: Yeah, I don't think there ever was an emissions control. They kept the bug in Mexico almost the same. They didn't change the the anything on it because they had price controls on how much they could sell it for. So,
0: okay, uh, I, I even guess, the bugs
1: from '75 are new.
0: Well, so what I'm saying, Kurt, is just help me out here. I'm, what you're telling me is. In Mexico, they were made with carburetors, so this is, it, right? Or are you saying in Mexico they were they made this with their fuel injection that was found in the U.S., and then somebody converted it back to an old-style carburetor? Which do you think it is?
1: It was made originally with a uh, fuel injection and then converted back to a carburetor.
0: Okay, so it's somebody else's intake manifold on there because... There's no way a fuel injection manifold, where would they mount the carburetor? They had to modify that. I'm just trying to take us back to the point of where we think the level of modification is. So we've got to make a, and uh, it doesn't necessarily matter, but there's likely a different intake manifold on this. We just don't know whose carburetor is it. Do you, do you recognize, is there a brand on it somewhere, or is it just something off the wall? It's, it's What does it look like to you, a Holly, a Weber?
1: No, it's neither one of those. I, I I actually bought the carburetor and put it on because the old one wasn't working too well.
0: Okay. Um, and what, what what brand did you buy?
1: Boy, I can't remember. There's a couple bug shops here. You can buy it online. All right.
0: Um, so let me ask the question this way: Did you have this problem with the old carburetor?
1: Uh, that's <laughs> why so I put the new carburetor on. It really wasn't uh, running too well with the old carburetor. Right, and but it, but was it? The, I didn't uh, have the same problem. But... L-
0: listen to the question. Was it the exact same problem? Was it flooded with the old carburetor? Would it act like it was flooded with no. the old carb? Okay. So it's different, no. right? It's, it's a yeah. different problem. The old carburetor, it didn't run well. This carburetor, it's flooded when you go to start it. Right. Right? Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay. So have you taken this old carburetor apart, or are you using it as it came out of the box?
1: The, the carburetor is currently in there?
0: Yes, the one that's giving you the problem. The one that's giving you the hard start I, flooded problem.
1: I have not taken it apart. I just put it on as it came out of the box.
0: Okay. So let's talk about what makes a carburetor flood out. High float level, sticking needle or a a, a, a bad, not a bad needle in seat, but debris in the needle and seat, keeping it from sealing. But it runs good once the car warms up, right?
1: Correct,
0: yes. I, I would pull this carb apart, make sure you can get a rebuild kit for it. So, you, you know, you're going to have to go on and identify what it is. It can't be a lot to it. It's going to be a gasket, a needle, and a seat. Not a lot. Do we have any? Do we have any dirt or debris in the carb that's preventing fuel from shutting off? All right. Do we have a float level that's not adjusted properly? For that matter, if you take okay. the air cleaner off, is there an air cleaner attached directly to the top of the carburetor? There is. Okay. If you take the air cleaner off, shut the car off, take the air cleaner off, and sit there, have you ever just watched down the throat of the carb using a mirror and a flashlight? Do you see fuel dribbling? Okay. With the vehicle shut off, right? Okay. And if you do, you know where the fuel's coming from. Okay? If that doesn't do it for you, if that doesn't do it for (laughs) you, put the carburetor with the vehicle off. You start it up hot. You run it, blah, 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 it's warm. Shut the car off, open the throttle all the way. Now, you're going to put a shot of fuel out the accelerator pump, and it's going to go down at the intake manifold. But if you let it sit like that for 20 minutes, do you do you see continuous fuel dropping? Right? Okay. You know, we're we're looking for a source of fuel. Where is it coming from? If this is what I think it is, this is a basic bug motor with a two-barrel carburetor on it, likely. Uh, You know, there's not a lot of emission controls. It's not like we've got a purge valve that's gone bad or we're not drawing fuel from somewhere. I'm going to make the assumption, bad word on radio for anybody, that it's just a basic engine with a carburetor. Let's talk about and think about what makes carburetors flood out. High float, bad needle in seat, debris in the carburetor, too much fuel pressure, things like that. What are you running for a fuel pump, by the way?
1: Uh, It has a... um Gosh, what does it have? <laughs> it, I don't know, I asked you all straight here. Yeah. <laughs> what does it have? It has a mechanical fuel pump on it actually.
0: Okay. And did you put it on?
1: Uh no, I did not.
0: So how do you know how much pressure it's putting out?
1: Yeah. Did not know that.
0: Alright, is that is that the fuel injection mm-hmm. fuel pump? No, 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 I'm sorry. You said this was modified before you got it. Right. Right? You you got this right. carbureted, you swapped the old carburetor with something new. Correct. Okay. Yep.
1: So last, uh, I started taking apart the last carburetor, fixed it, and somebody said, "Hey, new carburetor, hundred bucks. Just put a new one on there; it'd be a lot easier." Well, they were right. <laughs>
0: well, I, I I get that. You know, I'd at least take the old carburetor apart and look in the float bowl. Is there any dirt, crud, or debris? Right. Yeah. And, and, and be curious. Listen, this isn't hard. You ever, Do you have a toilet in your house?
1: Got a couple of them.
0: Okay. You ever have it where the water just keeps running?
1: Yes, I the, have. It doesn't
0: shut off? You're, you're working on a toilet, yes. brother. Don't overthink it. It's not complicated. Alright? Do those couple of things I told you to do. Call me back next week. Let me know where we end up. And we'll kind of go from there. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy the Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Ron Nain, the car doctor here. Let's go over to uh, Randy in Long Island. Randy, how are you today, sir? Hi, Ron. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I um, We talked, actually, Randy and I, full disclosure for everybody, Randy and I were exchanging emails during the week, and this is about your 15 Lexus, right, with the P0191? Correct. Okay. So one of the things I noticed when I was researching this is P0191 does not come up as a code for this. They translate it into a P0192. So my first question is, and I already know what I'm going to tell you, but I'm just curious. Um, did you happen to try checking this fault code with a different scan tool, or was it always that one that you were using?
4: I used two different scan tools, actually. And they both came and up the same both, way? Yeah they, yeah, they both come up the same way.
0: Okay. So the other thing I wanted to mention was in researching this, there's actually four different diagnostic charts for this particular code dependent upon uh, year, make, model, and production date which is why I asked you for the VIN. Remember I asked you for the VIN, and you were kind of, you know, you probably wanted to know why, because I wanted to see what the VIN... No, I just,
4: you yeah, I immediately sent the VIN Yeah, back no,
0: you. I got the VIN. I just, you know, usually everybody says why. It's, it's because I'm looking for specifics. Um, nothing more than they then split it down into two sections of diagnostics, and it all comes down to P0191 means that the computer is seeing incorrect fuel pressure, high or low, and it's assuming it's a short-to-ground in the sensor or the electrical circuit leading out to it. But what I'd like to do to diagnose it, does your scan tool display data or is it trouble codes only?
4: It does display data, yes.
0: It does. Can you bring up fuel pressure? There should be a PID for fuel pressure depending upon the the depth of what that tool will display.
4: Yes, I believe it does show a fuel pressure pit. It okay. shows a lot of different fits.
0: Yeah, it's it's it, it should because it should be OBD two compliant, and that's that's really what the P 191 is all about. This should be a turbocharged GDI engine, right? Gasoline direct injection. Yes,
4: it is It's a okay. turbocharged four cylinder.
0: Right, because this is going to have high and low fuel pressure, and one nine one is a is a is a fault in the high pressure side. All right? Okay. It's got. It's not the low-pressure side. So you can't really check. It's not like you can hook up and check fuel pressure with this by a gauge. I guess you could with the proper tooling, but the, the danger implications and setting it up would probably be too difficult. I would take the scan tool and monitor that fuel pressure sensor because the other thing we should let out to everybody is this seems to happen with a change in the weather, wasn't it? Something like that, Randy?
4: Yes, it only happens in the wintertime.
0: Right. Right. Um, yep. And it happens while you're driving, or you come up to it after the fact and start it, and then the light pops on. I don't remember which. It's
4: usually, it, it, it happens when I start it.
0: Usually
4: okay. it that's when it, it'll go off is when I start it.
0: All right. So, you know, I would set the stage by, you know, the code's cleared, hooking up your scan tool, having your data logged in. Uh, I would try turning the key on, let the scan tool come up. It's reading, right, and you're seeing whatever your fuel pressure is and then start it does your scan tool record yes it does okay so do you have the ability to select select PIDs where you don't have to look at all of them
4: yes I believe I can I was just looking at the scan tool the other day uh, it I believe I can select a PID okay individual pads
0: so less is more right the less PIDs we give the computer to look at and record and report to the faster the tool will be so you know just for the sake of science Let's record engine coolant temp. Let's bring up coolant, engine coolant temp, intake air temp, or ambient temperature. All right, so we know how cold and hot everything is. Let's 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 look at engine RPM. If if you've got an engine runtime PID, and then obviously fuel okay. pressure, you know five. All right, all right five versus the four hundred or three hundred that it displays has got to be a lot faster. And if we can okay. if we can put that fuel pressure pit in record mode, maybe we'll catch a spike. My my suspicion is it's it's got a bad sensor, but I'm trying to prove it. All
1: I
4: don't right? even, I tried to look online to even figure out where that sensor was. I couldn't even get figure out online.
0: Um, I I believe it's on the where rail. Where was located? Yeah, I think it's on the rail under the intake manifold, which is why I wanna I wanna try and report. Or record or diagnose. Yeah, first. before I just yeah. start changing things. Um, you yeah, know, exactly. shoot me another email asking me for the location of that, and I'll do. I'll try and send you back a picture. Um, you know, if that helps. Okay. If, if, we, if we get to I will, that, uh,
4: I didn't write any of this down, but I don't have to because I can just listen to your podcast here in a couple hours. Yep. And I'll write everything down then.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's the beauty of. And you know, I should point that. That's the beauty of coming on air. You know, once once this broadcast radio show becomes a podcast, then it's a library. Uh, you know, and you can always go back and reference it. And for, it's a recording.
4: It's, I can just go back on yeah, and listen to everything yeah. you said.
0: It's no need
4: to not take try notes. to remember everything. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so, but let's do that. This has got to be an easy fix. I can't imagine this is a hard problem. I don't think this is going to be wiring. I don't think this is going to be a PCM. The fact that it happens on a consistent basis at a specific time of year, something's reacting to temperature. And I'll be, I'd be willing to bet this is going to be a bad sensor. That would be logical.
4: Uh, are you the original owner on the car, Randy? Uh, no, no, we're the second owner. Okay, second owner. Okay, so. Um, I, but also that note that I made about the, the, the dash on the dash, it, it has this uh, display that says "All wheel drive system disengaged." Uh, please see dealer. That's just a what is that? It's just a message that they put up there for everything?
3: Well,
0: that's yeah, that's the. Anytime anything made let me let me think of how I want to make this generic but but accurate. I would say any vehicle made in the last almost twenty years now, check engine light comes on, they disable all the safety functions, all the functionality, all the extra work that the computer in the car is gonna to have to do. All right. They just they don't want to make oh, it I work see. too hard. We had a twenty sixteen okay. Honda pilot in the shop just yesterday that was setting a fault code for a P0430 cat efficiency. Uh, diagnosed it, found the bulletin. The, the, cu- the customer's going to go back to the dealer. It should be under some type of a warranty for a software update. There was a software modification. It turned on every light on the dashboard. You would have thought it was Christmas time. And, you know, all the different fault codes that came up made absolutely no sense. I looked at Danny and I said, there's no way a 2016 Honda can have 24 fault codes, uh, you know, at 63,000 miles. All, all of varying shapes and sizes. That doesn't make any sense. Always focus on the priority. The priority is always engine control faults. I've yet to find that to be uh, inaccurate. I don't know that. I've, that's not written down anywhere. That's just based on my experience, what I see on a regular basis. Engine control faults always seem to take priority. Solve that first. You'll probably find the rest of it goes away. In your case, I'm almost certain it will. They don't want that engine theoretically working harder than it has to because of that p0191 so they're disabling all-wheel drive they're disabling they're probably disabling traction control anti-lock brakes and a bunch of other things without you even realizing it trying to get you to get it in to get serviced
4: okay great thank you very much thank you're you, very you welcome, so much for sir. taking our, my
0: call you're very welcome stay in touch you know, with, let me know where we go All i right, will I? I
4: will respond with an email
0: okay good deal you be well randy yeah i you know it's 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 interesting how some of these problems come up and Uh, you know, where they go and where they come from. So uh, um, I don't think anything is impossible to be fixed. I think everything is able to be fixed. And uh, I'm sure we'll be able to do that with Randy. So, hey, when the car doctor comes back, a very special announcement. We'll do that right after this. Don't go away.
2: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal
2: podcast is going on a road trip
0: Welcome back. Ron the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. We want to do a quick welcome. Well, maybe not a quick welcome, but a welcome, right? We don't do our welcomes quick. We kind of take our time to KIXR AM 1400 out of Provo, Utah. We are glad to be part of their radio family as they are part of ours now as we continue to take the car doctor further and further and farther as we try to bring it to everybody to help solve your problems. So for everybody out there at KXR AM 1400 Provo, Utah, we're glad to be part of you guys. And uh, we welcome your calls at 855-560-9900. Give us a shout. We're here to help solve your problems as well as everybody else's talking about car problems, whatever they might be, and uh, opinions about car issues of the day and so on and so forth. So this radio show is here for you and uh, we're glad to serve and uh, take care of everybody. So um, I want to talk a little bit about cooks and chefs. Um, Uh, kind of a weird topic right but it's 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 really kind of timely and you'll understand why and where i'm going with this someone asked me this week about you know how to find a good repair shop and what should they look for and i i it dawned on me i said you know part of what you're paying a repair shop for is their expertise you're paying them you know not just can they fix the car right but there is a degree of how right and how good and how well and uh, quality of repair and i said it's like going to a restaurant there are cooks and there are chefs uh, you know my definition of a cook is somebody at a fast food chain not knocking them but they're going to follow a standard recipe it's it's you know it's it's so much of this and so much of that and they follow the formula and they're just they're they're just assembling a meal like that and you know there's no variation from it it's just a standard formula that's a cook in my mind a chef is the person that has to vary, that formula. We're short of this, so we're going to add that. We don't get the right part of this, so we're going to compensate and do this. And a chef is a little bit, to my, more of an artist. They're, they're trying to deal with the situation as it comes up. They're trying to make it work. They're trying to solve a problem outside the box. You can say that about mechanics, too. There's a lot of cooks and chefs. We had a situation this week. We we were working on, I was working on it, actually, a 2010 Mazda CX-7. A new customer, Angela, she came in. She had been to another repair shop, and in her words, the last fella didn't communicate well. She wanted somebody that could explain things, and I said, well, I think I could probably explain it. Um, little to her, you know, didn't disappoint her because... She understood everything that was going on with the car. She probably understood how the car was engineered by the time I got done with her. But, um, you know, she said, you're really a chef at this. And that's where I kind of got the idea for this. She goes, you really explain it well, and you you compensated for a couple of problems that you had. And you really brought it to a great conclusion for me, and I appreciated that. And that's, that's I, you know, not that I'm the only guy out there doing it, but I think there's a difference in repair shops between cooks and chefs. Some guys are just plodding along. You know, they just take the wheels and tires on and off, and they hand you tighten them with an air gun. They don't think anything about torque wrenching or, you know, um, uh, torque sticks or, you know, just just doing things above and beyond, reacting to the situation. And that's a lot of what auto repair is. Auto repair is a lot of reacting to the situation because it's ever evolving. It's ever changing. It's just a constant barrage of change, really. Uh, you know, and that's what makes one shop better or different than the rest. And it's difficult because how do you, the consumer, find that shop if that's what you're looking for? Not all of you are. You know, I've come to the conclusion that some people are happy with cooks and some people are looking for chefs. Some people are looking for somebody to think outside the box. Some people just, they want the least amount of expertise because they're just looking to get it done quick and cheap and, and down the road and deal with the next problem that it comes up. I mean, unfortunately, and it's the truth, A lot of people don't like mechanics. It's, you know, partly because of the industry that's been created. It's partly because of the way mechanics treat customers and vice versa. But, you know, it's a tough business. And, um, you know, I guess there is a difference, cooks and chefs. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to think to yourself, are you making a meal that's going to bring somebody, want to bring somebody to come back? Or are you just trying to give somebody indigestion? Um, You know, I think the better mechanics, the better chefs are trying to cook a meal that brings people back because they're looking for repeat business on a regular basis without all the drama and the nonsense that goes on in between. So just um, cooks and chefs, what are you looking for? 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Ananey in The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this.
2: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of
0: Back. Ron and on nanny in the car doctor here. Let's do a follow-up email from last week. Remember Kevin from Florida. He had called in about his 05 Chrysler 300 Ron, after a week of them trying to figure out my car. They want to change the rear axles and the front hubs to fix my problems. Do you think I need front and back? The only thing they told me was they had a voltage drop and it was caused by the rings. Just like you said it was most likely the problem, but they want to charge me $2,800. I guess it could be worse. They didn't ask me what color. One more thing. Can we clone you Tom? Could you imagine two of me? Oh, boy, wouldn't that be exciting.
4: So, No. (laughs) Just Uh, no. Yeah, come on. I I mean, like you said before, there are some people who don't like mechanics. I know one I don't like.
0: Tom, just think of it. I could be in two places at once. Think of how exciting that could be. Um, oh I actually, I actually, poor I, listeners. well, I you know, listen, I could do four hours of radio. I uh, I called Kevin back, or actually, I emailed Kevin back, and I told him, you know, listen, it it sounds like the fault's in the rear. That's usually where it is. Uh, the question becomes, he's in Florida and he's trying to make it back to Massachusetts. How rusty and cruddy does the front hubs look? And and you don't know. See, you know, that's that's the issue. You don't know, because I don't think you can see into the front hubs. Uh, I don't remember what the fronts look like. Most of the issues we ever had were with the rears. Uh, the question becomes, uh, that I had for him, and I didn't get an answer, is it at a Chrysler dealer, or is it an independent repair shop? If it's an independent repair shop, and it's hubs and axles for $2,800, I... I I don't want to say it's a lot of money, but I just want to know where they're getting the parts from. I want to know that they're using Chrysler axles. My experience has been the aftermarket axles in this case just don't seem to work, and I I think it's because the aftermarket hasn't figured out the technology yet, and I think they're just refurbing older Chrysler axles, and it doesn't seem to work. So, you know, as I said to Kevin then, as I say to him now, if he's listening and you're in this situation out there and you've got this problem on your own, uh, you know, the quality of the part goes a long way. Uh, You know, why can't we just try two rear axles see if the problem is fixed, but then what do the front hubs look like? Is it rust, or is it a voltage variation? Is it a test, or are they just covering their tail? I don't know, and um, I, I would just want to know that, because 2800 bucks is a lot of money. However, he's right. They're not saying what color. If it's a Chrysler dealer, if it's all Chrysler parts, it's 2800 bucks. Could be. Um, you know what? It's still cheaper than a new car. Three grand's not a lot of money in the world of auto repair today, as the prices of cars just keep escalating and going up and up and up and up. So... Kevin, I hope that did it for you, and I hope you got home. Give us a shout and let us know how you made out, because uh, we'd like to get the final follow-up to that. Till the next time, I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, reminding all of you: good mechanics aren't expensive; they're priceless. See ya. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.
1: Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us.
2: Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have.
3: It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.
2: From BBC Radio 4,
1: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast...